to be filling in for Jennifer this morning. And I said a little prayer. Father, please don't let me mess up on the Lord's Prayer. But <laughs> he didn't come through on that. But I know he's going to come through on the next prayer that I'm going to offer in a minute. Um, but it's the first time we went. And as Sarah always said, Jen's off on a little well-needed vacation. And she has outlined for our following six Sundays, today and six more Sundays, that our sermon series will be called uh, Hearing the Voice of God. And you already know that I'm going to talk about Elijah in a still small voice. And we'll get to that in a minute. I'm glad that I'm doing the first one because she's a very hard act to follow. And I'd rather be in front than behind. <laughs> so would you pray with me and for me because for the first time ever, I'm doing this without any notes. <sighs> Pray with me. Gracious God, I just ask you sincerely that my words will be your words and that you will be glorified in all that we see and do and that we would feel your arms around us this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And I asked a couple of friends to pray particularly that there were no senior moments for me this time. But, so yes, I'm going to tell you, and somewhere along the line, I was told that a sermon should have three points. I don't know if I have three points this morning because I'm going to tell you a Bible story and a personal story. And then I'm going to tell you two things that I want you to walk out the door and remember for the rest of this week. And maybe for, for other times. So, first of all, the Bible story, as you already know, is about Elijah. Elijah doesn't really get the credit that he deserves because he's really on a par with Moses. If you remember the New Testament story when uh, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up in the mountain and Peter saw two ghostly figures standing next to Jesus. One was Elijah and one was Moses, representing Moses the law and Elijah the prophets. And for the Jewish people who can't quite get it to their head that this really is the Messiah, uh, they think, well, maybe it's Jesus is probably Moses come back to life or Elijah come back to life. So, uh, but Elijah should get a little bit more credit and more talked about than he does. But before I get to the scripture for today, I want to back up and give you a little bit of background about Elijah. First of all, he lived about 800 BC, and that's like 200 years after King David. It's slightly after Israel has been divided into the northern kingdom, two tribes, the northern kingdom of Israel, and the southern kingdom, 10 tribes of uh, Judah. And just before Assyria comes and, and uh, conquers Israel, the northern kingdom, and takes all those people and scatters them everywhere, and that's called the diaspora. And so, so Elijah is in there, and he's in the northern kingdom, and he's pretty much the only prophet that they've got up there. And the country is very much worshiping Baal, the local god, and Asherah, Baal's wife. To the extent that <clears throat> There are 450 prophets worshiping Baal, or taking care of Baal, prophesying for Baal, and 400 for his wife Asherah. So there's 850 prophets.
prophets out there and poor Elijah, who's the only one trying to tell them about God. And just two or three stories before we get to the scripture for today. Uh, first of all, you need to know that because of all this pagan worship, God is not happy. And he has stopped the rain. And it has not rained for three years. And so no rain, no crops, no food. And a lot of Elijah's stories have to do with feeding, uh, feeding him. And one, you may remember, the ravens came and fed him. And another one, he encountered a widow lady with a son and asked her to feed him. And she said, no, I can't because all I have left is this little bit of flour and this little bit of oil, and I'm going to make one last meal for my son and myself, and then we're going to go sit under the tree over there and wait to start again. And Elijah said, no, no. Uh, if you will feed me, God will see to it that you never run out of flour and you never run out of oil. And so she believed him, and she fed Elijah. And, uh, you know, God always keeps his promise. And so she was always had flour, she always had oil. And Elijah stayed with her for a while. <clears throat> and so then, the next big story about Elijah is the God duel. Now, do you know about the God duel? <clears throat> it's like, put your money where your mouth is. So the king of Israel at that moment is Ahab. And he's not a very nice man. And his wife is Jezebel. And she is definitely not a very nice person. Remember, there's 850 prophets. And so all these prophets have been saying, well, how powerful Baal is, and, and they're not happy that even though Elijah is just one verse, he's over here saying, no, 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 my God is more powerful than your God. And so finally, Elijah has had enough, and he says, so show me. Put your money where your mouth is, folks. You built an altar, and I call this the God tool. I've never seen those two words I so, so Elijah says, build yourself an altar, get a wonderful bowl, and cut it up and put it on that altar, and then call your God to start the fire. Don't light it yourself. That's the rule. Don't light it yourself. Call it on your God to light the fire. And they do. And 850 prophets pray and pray and pray and pray. And Elijah begins to talk them, and there's at least one version, interpretation of the scripture, that even suggests, so where is your God? Is he only been in the bathroom someplace? That's one version. Most of the time he says, where is he? Is that a journey? Nothing happens. So, okay, it's Elijah's turn. And so Elijah builds the altar, gets the bull cut up, puts it on top, and then he has his followers dig a trench around the altar and fill it full of water, and then he says, keep the water coming, drench, 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 pour it on the altar, make it soaking wet. And so we have this altar that's soaking wet with water all around it. And so then Elijah looks up to heaven to his side and says, okay, God, it's time. And whoosh, fire comes and starts the altar. Well, needless to say, Jezebel is not happy particularly, and more unhappy than Ahab. And uh, and and so at the same time, the, um, the 850 prophets are trying to run away. And Elijah turns to his followers and says, don't let them get away. Now, I'm not sure 
And I'd be real happy, David or Carol, for you to tell me later if I've interpreted this right or not. But I think that Elijah was a little unhappy that he made the following decision. Because he told his followers to go after them, and they managed to kill all those 850 prophets. That definitely made Elijah, or made Jezebel, very angry. And so she was going to put a price on his head. And so he's, he runs away. And I did have a senior moment in there, because I forgot one thing. I wanted to tell you the ending of Elijah's story before I tell you this part. So I'm going to pause for a minute. I'm going to catch up on where I'm supposed to be. And the ending of the Elijah story is that he took a man named Elisha. You keep them straight by Elijah comes first with a J. Elisha is second with this. And so he took Elisha under his wing, taught him everything that he knew. And when it was time for Elijah's time on earth to be over, God sent this chariot of fire and swooped him up and carried him off into the heavens. Now, I will tell you that that's a wonderful Cecil B. DeMille moment. But there's only about a half a dozen people of you who will know what I'm talking about. Maybe if I said Steven Spielberg. But anyway, can't you see that on the, on the big screen? The chariot of fire. So that's the ending. So now I have to back up because I should have told you that in the first place. And so now we'll go back to Elijah is in trouble with Jezebel. And I'm sure Jezebel put a price on his head. And so he ran. And that's where we are. And he, he ran into the woods. And first of all, the angels, he, he slept under a tree and the angels stayed. And that's where I'm going to pick up the scripture. And if we'll put the scripture on the screen now, I particularly want you to read, the, I want to read today's text out of the Bible so that you don't have a lot of Roman embellishments because you've had a few of those a few minutes ago. So starting in, and you can find all these stories about Elijah in the end of the first Kings and in the beginning of second Kings. But here's the part that I'm calling my text for today. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights. We've heard those numbers before. Until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? The word of God, the people of God. When I hear, and, and the title, my title was The Still Small Voice of God. 
And that's in the King James Version. And other interpretations will tell you a gentle whisper like this or a soft, soft voice. And this is the New International Version. And, but whatever, it was, it was a quiet voice. And I never hear those without thinking about a time at, in the chapel at Perkins School of Theology, 40 some years ago now, uh, when they sang a hymn, and within the hymn, there was the phrase, the breathing silence of God surrounds us. And to me, that's who God is, the breathing silence of God. And in this series of listening to the voices of God, I want to tell you two places where we hear the voice of God. First of all, <clears throat> let's think about Elijah for just a minute or two. I suspect there are, there's a lot of Elijah in all of us. Uh, if he had happy about, he makes a statement that I know better than my ancestors, that he might have been unhappy with himself for having let all those people get killed. Uh, sometimes we do things even when it's really not, God is not unhappy about it, we may be unhappy with ourselves. Uh, and surely we begin to think once in a while, I'm the only one. I'm the only one that's making it. I'm the only one that's trying to do the right thing. We look around today at the greed and the violence and wonder if we're not in the minority. And we think like Elijah a little bit. But most certainly, we are looking for God from time to time. And we wonder. And he probably knew the story of Moses and the burning bush. And he probably knew the story of Adam and Eve and Noah. And because even if they weren't written down by that time, they were oral stories. But think about what we know. We not only know Adam and Eve and Noah and Job and, and Samuel and uh, Elijah, and we know about Jesus on the mountaintop, and we know about Jesus' his baptism, and we know about Paul uh, on the road to Damascus. Think about how many times we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God spoke to people. And Paul. Think about Paul for a minute. He was not a nice person when Jesus came to him. And aren't I better than that? Don't I deserve it more than Paul to be spoken to aloud? Well, I want to tell you that for me, there are two places that we hear God. And I want to share those with you and then challenge you. I want to challenge you for something. So first of all, I am adamant that as I told the children, that when God is in our heart, it's God in our head that says, oh, why don't you call Susie today? Why don't you do this instead of that? I'm convinced that he is in our heart and in our head. But I'm convinced he's someplace else also. And I said it was a personal story. And for the teacher like me, I need visual, I need visual aids and props. Well, this is my prop. <clears throat> this is my prop. This is a really cool little gadget, my friend, because you just pull it up real quick, and it's, it's on, on the way, and all like that. And the, the advertisement form said that it will fit on the, in the overhead compartment of the airplane. Well, it, I've had it not quite a year, and it has been on five plane trips. And it has never been allowed to even try to put it over Because one of the flight attendants said, oh, it's not a regular plane they're talking about. It has to be a 727 or 747, whichever number is right. It has to be one of the big ones. Okay, 
We just gave it. And it comes through fine, except one time we didn't. But they fixed it. So, this is my trusty game walk. And you all know that I broke my hip not quite two years ago. And after I broke my hip, and I had to wear, I had to use that little metal walker that collapsed in the plant, and I couldn't wait to ditch it and get at least to a cane. Okay. The cane, when I walk with the cane, I walk kind of a little and I have to go real slow because my anxiety level of falling again is pretty high. I used to silently chuckle at my mother for being afraid to fall. I understand. Totally understand. I, I apologize to her daily in my prayers. Um, so, but I'm fortunate. I'm not in any pain. I, I you know, I have friends who, who whose hips hurt, whose knees hurt. I'm okay. And so, um, I, you know, I just sort of walk with the cane. This lady in the mirror with whom I have daily conversations with asks me questions like, but you know when you use the water, you can just walk right along, you go fast, and you don't, you don't slip, and, and above all, you walk straight. But no, it's okay. The walker makes me look old. And it's a nuisance. And I'm okay. I'm okay. Well, as I said, I really haven't had anything. But shortly after Thanksgiving, early December, somewhere in there, all of a sudden, every step I took hurt. And, and this side And so I called the orthopedic office at, with the doctor that did my surgery. I have yet to meet him. He signs your leg. He comes in after your sleep. He signs your leg when he gets done, he initials it. And then I've never seen him. I've seen his physician's, his physician's assistant, but I've never seen him. And so, anyway, so I, 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 the first appointment they could give me was January 2nd. So I went. And I didn't, again, I was hoping they will see him. I didn't. I saw one of his colleagues. And very nice man, very soft-spoken. And who took the x-rays, and there's actually nothing wrong. And he very gently agreed with me that maybe my lack of following up on the exercises was part of my problem. And he said, let's go back to therapy. And I said, yay, I love therapy. Let's go back to therapy. And so he left the room, and he came back with the paperwork, and when he walked in, I'm sitting in the chair, and he walked in to go from the door to his chair over there, and he tapped out the camera and said, you know, Mrs. Rowan, this is not your enemy. Now, that is not a thought that I have not heard. Words like that, no. I have a dear sweet friend who also, not a number of the lady in the mirror who says Shelby Jean, what are we talking about? I have a dear friend who says Shelby Jean, where's your walker? I have grandchildren who say, where's your walker? And I say, I'm fine. When Dr. Z said, this is not your enemy, it clicked. It clicked. Did he get up that morning with, uh, with a message from God to say, say those words to Mrs. Rowan when she comes in today? Absolutely not. But they clicked. And I have a new slogan. 
So what do you want, Shelby Jane? Quality of life or other people's opinions? And I'm voting for quality of life these days. And so here's why this is an Elijah story. Not only is God in my heart and in my head, but God is in my voice. And sometimes God is, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, and I think all of you know this too, that God uses us whether we want him to or not. When he needs us, he will use us. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a position where you needed some volunteers to do something? I saw a long list up here. Volunteers needed. Isn't it easier when somebody raises their hand and says, let me do that, and you don't have to beg it? I suspect. I don't care whether you forget everything else that I said today. I want you to hear two things. The end of that sentence, we're going to get to it. And the first thing, though, that God keeps his promise. Just like Elijah. He said, Elijah, I'm coming to see you. And he did. In his time and his way. But then, how do they hear the voice of God from each other? The end of that sentence is, wouldn't it be better if we helped God along and volunteered? I think maybe our morning prayer should be, thank you, Lord, for another day. Thank you for bringing me through the night. Thank you for all the blessings that you keep upon me. Let me glorify you in all that I do today. And dear God, if you need a voice, I'm volunteering. I'm here. Put the words in my mouth whenever you need to. Let me be your voice, your still, quiet voice. Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God, thank you for the Elijahs in this world who tell us stories, who share a face with us, who show us that you keep your promise. We know that. But most of all, let me be your voice whenever you need it. I'm volunteering God. Volunteering to be yours. In Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>